Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible thanks to our sponsor, Store My Tumor. Your preserved tumor contains the most important information about your cancer. Store My Tumor provides live tumor preservation and coordination of advanced diagnostics and personalized immunotherapies. Thank you so much for supporting us. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carpe. And if you're joining us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each time we come out with a new episode. To all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. This week, I'm so excited to have Lauren Newberger on the show. She is the founder and creator of Nutritious Delicious Life. Diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 26, she went down the path of traditional treatment. After her lumpectomy and radiation, she decided to forgo tamoxifen for 10 years and pursue a holistic route instead. This path became her passion and career. Going back to school to study holistic nutrition, Laura now runs a thriving online coaching business to help all of us learn about the natural options we have to heal our bodies and live a thriving life. Life after cancer can be a burden or a gift and you get to choose. And what I want people to realize is that you can choose. You do have Mm. a choice. The body is the most resilient, beautiful, magnificent being and learning how all of the different organ systems, hormones interact together and live in harmony or disharmony, which prevent, which, you know, brings on disease, like learning how to, uh, you know, work holistically. It's mm-hmm. so intense because you could have someone with breast cancer or a thyroid problem because those are connected a lot of the times too. But really, you know, part of the problem is digestion. You have to know how and mm-hmm. where to start. So that's kind of what school was all about is just really understanding how the body's all connected and then how to really figure out where to start, how to start, why, and how to connect all the dots. I'm just all about having authentic, genuine conversations and, you know, talking about breast cancer prevention, survivorship, diagnosis, you know, it's something that I'm, you know, I do all day as do you. So I think we'll have lots to talk about and wherever the conversation goes, it goes. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honestly so excited and honored to be here. I was looking forward to this for a while, so I'm happy that, you know, we were able to schedule in the date for it. So hi, everybody who's listening. My name is Lauren. I am a breast cancer survivor turned holistic nutritionist. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 26 years old. And, you know, at that time, my life was everything but holistic. Um, I was living a very toxic lifestyle, a lifestyle of, you know, excess. So a lot of drinking, a lot of late nights. I was working um, really long hours at a career that, you know, paid me really well, but I was miserable. Um, You know, I just didn't have a lot of love for myself and I was just living a very, you know, toxic lifestyle. And, you know, it finally caught up to me and I was 26 and I felt a lump in my right breast one day when I was taking a shower. And, you know, long story short, it turned out to be cancerous. Um, So like I said, I had never, you know, heard of natural medicine. I was completely living the opposite of I'm living now. So I had never even knew that there were other alternatives available to me. So I had, you know, conventional treatment. I had a lumpectomy. Then I had chemotherapy. And then and radiation and I was supposed to be on um, hormone blockers like tamoxifen for 10 years um, it was during my radiation treatment actually right before radiation started I just happened to catch a podcast that had a naturopathic doctor on it who was talking about natural cancer care and I was like wait what this, this is a thing I had never even knew about this before like to give you an example like pre-diagnosis I thought people who spent money on organic produce were stupid like I remember (laughs) telling my sister that she was dumb for wasting her money on this I'm like put that money in your savings account like (laughs) I can't believe that that's how I used to think like I was so um you know just blinded by you know the way that I just I had no clue I had no concept that there was something else out there 
But when I heard this podcast and I heard this doctor speak, I was really just intrigued. Like part of it just gripped my soul. So, you know, I booked an appointment, a free consultation with a naturopath in my area who specialized in cancer. And I started working with her during my radiation treatments. And, you know, I don't know if you can see me, if this is going to be on YouTube or not, but I have very fair skin. Like right now it's August and I have my tan and this is like (laughs) as dark as I get. And it's not very dark. So, you know, my very fair skin didn't burn at all from radiation and, you know, I started riding my bike to my radiation treatments at the hospital. Like I had energy again. Like I couldn't deny that this was working for me. And, you know, I just wanted to take it to a new level. So, um, you know, I really wanted to do more for myself in between my visits to my naturopath. So I started to look at, you know, food and nutrition. I looked at what could I do to show up for myself every single day? You know, if I'm seeing my naturopath once a month, what can I do mm-hmm. the other, you know, 29 or 30 days? What can I do for me? So I just really got, you know, into nutrition, like what foods could help me, what foods could harm me. And and I really was curious as to the why. I was like reading like the science behind everything. And, you know, I loved it, but I didn't really understand it because it's really complicated when you start trying to learn science as an adult with no science background. Oh. So I'm like, yes. you know what? I decided that, you know, this was something that was really important to me. Um, I got so invested in it that um, I ended up taking myself off of tamoxifen and I balanced my entire prevention plan completely naturally. And when I made that decision to do that that's when I also kind of made the decision to pursue nutrition as a career so I left that you know toxic career that was bringing me no joy and you know went back to school and became a holistic nutritionist and I specialize in breast cancer because you know that's where you know my story is that's where my passion is Um, and now I lead the cancer nutrition program at I'm a leading naturopathic oncology clinic just outside of Toronto. And I also have uh, a thriving online coaching practice where, you know, I coach women all around the world and doing this. I'm like, this information that I have, you know, it was exhausting trying to figure it out all on my own all those years. And it needs to be accessible to the people who need it the most. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I took my practice online um, maybe six months ago. And wow, yeah, I'm really happy. It's just like, what brings you joy? How can you take this terrible experience that – Again, even though like there's doctors and nurses and a lot of people who have had been personally touched by cancer, they haven't actually gone through what we've gone through, right? So they really are relying on us as the experts of relaying to them this like lived experience of what the side effects are. So I think we're both doing a huge service to the, the breast cancer community. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the most important part is that, you know, even my naturopath, like she would give me great advice and then, you know, I took it and I Mm -hmm. saw results, but a part of me was always like, do I really trust her? Like her life isn't on the line here, you know, like it's life and death to me. It's life and death to you and to everyone listening. It's like when you can actually take advice from someone who's doing it, like this is their life too. It just really, really, really allows you to kind of take that leap of faith a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's really important work that we're doing for sure. Absolutely. So I want to go back to your diagnosis. You said you were 26 when you were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Two questions. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? And then also when you found this lump, like, because I'm trying to think, you know, Breast cancer really isn't part of like our terminology, like unless we have an aunt or, you know, a relative or somebody who's been through cancer. So I can imagine like just being in the shower and feeling something and not thinking twice about it. Can you tell me a little bit more about? Yeah. So I'm 31 and a half. So <laughs> it's been, um, it'll be five years since diagnosis for me in beginning of January. Like my wow. biopsy was January 2nd. I was like, as soon as you're open again after the new year, I'm coming in. So yeah. it's January 2nd. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, almost five years. So that's, that's exciting. I'm really happy to yeah, hit that milestone. That is a huge sure. milestone. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's just, I don't even think about it anymore, which is kind of cool. But like now that I'm pretty active on social media and I see everyone celebrating mm-hmm. their anniversaries, I'm like, Oh my God, that's so amazing. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm almost five years. That's pretty sweet. Totally. Um, yeah, it's just like, I live with just such like freedom and ease every day that like, I really don't think about it, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, you know, there's no familial history of breast cancer in my family. Um, so, and like I said, I wasn't really, you know, living a great lifestyle, but for some reason I was still just really aware of my body. I don't know mm-hmm. how I'm just like, thank you universe for allowing that to happen. <laughs> yeah. so I found this lump and it's funny cause I was such a stress case and I stressed over everything in my life mm-hmm. at this time. There wasn't a single thing that didn't cause me stress and anxiety. Like I, I, I couldn't even get through the day without being stressed out, anxious, panic attacks. Like yep. basically it was bad. Um, 
but it's funny. I didn't stress out about this lump. It was the weirdest thing. I felt this lump and I'm like, that has to be nothing. I'm 26 years old. Like there's clearly nothing to, to talk about here. Right. Um, so I'm like, if it's still there in a week, I'll go get it checked out. So a week later it was still there obviously. Oh so then that's when I got it checked out and that's when the kind of the ball started to roll. But yeah, initially I was just like, no, it can't be anything serious. It's just going to be like, yeah. I don't know. Like I was clueless. I was like, it's probably inflammation. I was working out too hard or something. Like, no, inflammation <laughs> is not like a, a tangible ball. Like, in your right, chest, but, right. You know, because it was actually weird. It's kind of like up like closer to my armpit. That's why I thought maybe that's why. But yeah. you know, it was definitely a breast cancer. Tumor. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and did it go to your lymph nodes at all? Or did it stay? It did not. No, okay. I had, um, I think, five lymph nodes removed as part of the lumpectomy surgery, but it didn't travel. So I'm very excellent. For that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know. I remember mine too. It's always like, what's the phrase, like hindsight 2020. So, you know, I remember feeling a lump for years, actually, that went misdiagnosed. I was talking to my primary care about it. I was concerned about it. And it was always like, there's no family history. You're too young. This couldn't happen to you. And even when my boyfriend was pointing it out, I was like, you know what? That's always been there. Like, I felt like, and that's one of the things too, especially like on August 1st today, when everyone's talking about feeling out on the first, it's like, yes, you want to be familiar with your body, but not to the point also where you're like, oh, that's always been there. So I'm just accepting that as normal. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And like a message that I always want to talk about is like patient advocacy. I mean, most of my work now is on survivorship. So, you know, you're not really in the thick of things with your oncologist anymore. Maybe you have follow-ups, but I'm still, I still do see some clients that are in active treatment. I support them with mitigating side effects and things like that, um, just to make, you know, chemo a lot easier, radiation, et cetera. But my message for that is, you know, you are your own advocate. This is your mm-hmm. body. This is your life. That doctor is doing his or her job and they're doing a great job, of course, mm-hmm. but you're not their only patient. You are your only body. So yes. you need to make yourself a priority and just who cares if you ask questions and you go above your and beyond your appointment time. Right. That's your right as a patient to have that and you 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 get it. Yes. Like that's you get your questions answered. So for anyone listening, you know, feel it on the first, of course, but like just always be your own advocate for, you know, your health and your body. If something's not right, like get it checked out. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I was just posting actually on IGTV. I don't know if that's what I was doing before I jumped on. I'm not sure if it's posted there. But what was talking about it's great to feel it on the first but also do it throughout the month because depending on your like cycle and everything too, your breasts are going to feel different throughout the various um, like days of the week and time, time of the month and everything. So it's important to just be, again, self-aware. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> excellent. So, okay, tell me more about this transition now into like health and nutrition and a little bit about your schooling. It sounds like you totally changed your career and was learning so much that's so applicable now that you're giving back. Yeah. So, I mean, I went back to school with the intention of always doing what I'm doing now. It was like my eye was always on the prize. Mm-hmm. I had a very clear vision. I've always been um, like a strong worker. So I gave a lot to my old career. But it's funny because growing up, random people, even my old employers, like some of them would actually say like, Lauren, I always see you being an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh. nah, it's too much work. I'm not <laughs> about that life. I'm just going to like sit here, show up, leave get my benefits, get my pension, like all that, Mm -hmm. not about that hard life. Um, But now here I am. So I guess they saw something in me. I didn't see it myself for a while. Um, But yeah, I went back to school and, um, you know, school is, it's intense, but it's not like a breast cancer specific nutrition program. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you have to learn how the body functions. Like the body is the most resilient, beautiful, magnificent being and learning how all of the different organ systems, hormones, and Iraq together and live in harmony or disharmony, which prevent, which, you know, brings on disease, like learning how to, uh, you know, work holistically. It's mm-hmm. so intense because you could have someone with breast cancer or a thyroid problem because those are connected a lot of the times too. But really, you know, part of the problem is digestion. You have to know how and mm-hmm. where to start. So that's kind of what school was all about is just really understanding how the body's all connected and then how to really figure out where to start, how to start, why, and how to connect all the dots. It was the most intense program I've ever done. Um, But then, you know, I've done all my own work thereafter on breast cancer specifically because, you know, this is where my, my, my niche is in my business. So Mm -hmm. 
um, like I said, I do work in a clinic, so I do have some clients that come to me for just like random things like weight loss, you know, like chronic pain. I'm like, that's cool. I'll do it in clinic. But my online practice is strictly focused on breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually strictly focused on survivorship. Now, um, I see people in my clinic for like during active treatment, but I no longer take people um, online um, that are still in active treatment. It's just getting it's just too hard. There's too many you know cooks in that kitchen. And yes. since I'm not physically present, I just chose to step away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have a few currently that I'm going to see through, yeah. which is great. No, and I feel like that's very similar to what we're doing at survivingbreastcancer.org as well, where, of course, we're going to help anyone from like day one of diagnosis through survivorship. But to your point, like there are so many um, support options while people are going through active treatment. They have their you know, medical care team, their oncologist, the radiologist, they're constantly getting checked on on like a weekly basis. But it's really after you get that like, oh, come back in six months or come back in a year and you're in this like program of, oh my gosh, how do I get my life back? Whether that's transitioning back into the workforce or getting back into a workout routine or nutrition, that's all the like aftermath and PTSD that's like, I remember for me, Mm -hmm. like I used to love yoga and then all of a sudden I like couldn't do the vinyasas or the push-ups anymore because of my surgery. And yoga became this like really negative thing for me because it just triggered that I had breast cancer because I couldn't do what I was able to do before. And I was talking to a lot of women too who are just trying to get back into exercise thinking they can just pick up where they left off. And it's really hard for us to just realize, oh my gosh, we went through this really crazy traumatic experience. Our bodies have like physically changed. How can we, you know, empower ourselves and become stronger, both like emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, et cetera. So I love what you're doing. And actually, um, I'm going to be doing a webinar kind of on exactly what you were just talking about, um, probably in September. Um, So I'm really excited about that. It's actually really on kind of what you just said is that, you know, when you're done active treatment, you know, you ring the bell, you bang the gong, like you are high on life, you know, there, but there's that honeymoon period for Mm -hmm. sure, but it ends. And then you're kind of like, okay, my oncologist that I saw, you know, weekly for chemo is like, see ya, you know, in six months or see you in a year. And then, you know, there's this expectation that we have in our minds that like when treatment ends, because like, when you're going through it, you're just like focusing on that end day, that last treatment. That's yes. all you want. That's like the top of your mountain. Mm-hmm. Then you get there. So it's, it, it's even subconscious. It's like in your mind, you're like, when I hit that bell, you know, my life's going to turn back to normal. But the right. problem is it doesn't. So there's this huge gap between, you know, in care between the conventional system being like, yeah, you know, we'll see you next year. You know, your symptoms should subside within a year, but how you actually feel like a lot of the women that I coach are, you know, two to five years after diagnosis. And they're like, I still struggle with chemo brain. Mm -hmm. I still struggle with debilitating fatigue or it's not maybe debilitating anymore, but it's like, I think I'm just used to being this tired. So now I'm just like pretty tired all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, it's the weekend. Are you, you know, socializing Friday and Saturday, or do you have to choose between one or the other? And they're like, I have to choose. Like, I don't have the energy. And it's like, to me, that's not surviving. Like you're, you're surviving, you're not thriving. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you just had the most traumatic, you know, time of your life. It was traumatic on your family, on your friends, your coworkers, everybody's impacted by this. And it's like, you know, these symptoms, you don't have to live with them. So that's kind of what my webinar is going to be on. That's really what my coaching program is all, is all about. It's that like, and all these things I really want you to be living your best life and it's really about getting to the root cause of why you still have these symptoms Mm -hmm. and then addressing that so you can actually go on to thrive because you know as a practitioner and as someone who's been through it you know I don't want you to be like sitting on the sidelines for your life you know ever again you need to be like full-on enjoying it and you know I actually, I struggled with the side effects. They persisted too. It was part of my, my healing. Um, I had really debilitating fatigue about two years ago. Like, you know, my school was so intense. Like it, it, we had a one month break in the program, Mm -hmm. um, in the summer and like I crashed, like I literally couldn't get up off the couch. I, I, like everyone thought I was sick and I was just like, I couldn't talk to anybody. I was basically bedridden. It was terrible. And, you know, I, I got to a point where I had one class left in my program and I had to drop down to part-time. I couldn't even finish it. I was like, yeah. I'm just, I, I will finish it next semester. Like I can't bring myself to do this. Like it's too much. And, you know, 
we just put up with this because we think in our minds, well, it's better than the alternative of having cancer, but it's like life after cancer can be a burden or a gift and you get to choose. And what I want people to realize is that you can choose if you do have mm. a choice. So many people, um, you know, are just like, this is life after cancer. And if you kind of go on social media, there's so many people that are kind of complaining about their symptoms still. So it right. normalizes it. And that's what I, my message is all about is that, yes, like I totally understand that it's common to have these symptoms persisting, you know, years after diagnosis, but I don't want to say that they're normal because they don't have to be. It's right. common, but just because, you know, the other people that you follow on Instagram are complaining doesn't mean you have to too. Like there's always a choice. And that's kind of what my message is about advocacy, you know, and survivorship is advocating for yourself and your well-being. And I want you to really, really, really be thriving. Yes, I'm just writing that down. I think that's maybe the name of our podcast is it's common, but it doesn't have to be. I think that is so like important like to hear and say out loud because you're absolutely right everybody is talking about like aches and pains or not able to discern like am I just tired because I'm normal and this is tired because I had a long week or am I tired because these are the aftermath effects of chemotherapy and radiation and Mm -hmm. you know realizing that even years out after all of this active treatment that we had our body is still quite toxic. So what are we doing from like a holistic perspective and seeing food as medicine and really being able to kind of flush that out so that way we can recuperate the enzymes and vitamins and energy that we need? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's it's there's a lot to recuperating mm-hmm. for sure. And it is pretty individualized. But, you know, it really starts with looking at your life prior to diagnosis. So for me, you know, the reason why I was so depleted during that, like, my schooling is because it was so intense and rigorous, but I never really gave myself time to heal. Like I was really mm. depleted going into diagnosis and treatment. And then, you know, me thinking that I have something to prove and I'm a burden on everybody. Those are things that I had to really face and acknowledge yeah. that I went back to work, you know, at my, my finance job sooner than I really should have, because I was like, well, I'm so young. They're expecting me back. Right. Like I don't need to take this much time off. No, I needed the time. And then I went straight into really, learning about nutrition. So I spent kind of like what you're doing now is like you're working full time, but you're spending all your spare time on your passion project. That's what I was doing for a while too. And then, you know, I went back to school. So I was just constantly depleted and it caught up to me. So it's about really looking at, you know, painting like a really holistic picture and getting a timeline because that's going to really identify the root cause. Um, So really, I think your question was like, what can you do to kind of like detox out? Uh, So the first step really is, is like, you know, painting that timeline just to see like what organ system that we need to be detoxified because it's not Mm. just you know oh I have too many hormones you know with estrogen or whatever if it was hormonally related Uh, you know your body is one beautiful interconnected ecosystem so it's really about knowing where to start the detoxification um, because you can't just start doing like a liver cleanse all willy-nilly because your other organ like your other elimination systems need to be cleared out first so that way you know when your liver is detoxifying, it's not like dumping things into other areas. So there's definitely a systematic, you know, way to go about doing things. Um, A good place to start is honestly just looking at digestion. Like that is the most basic elimination Mm. organ. It's like, are you eliminating your bowels daily? So, and if you're not, which, you know, like 90% of the people I see think they are, but they're not. Um, When I ask the right questions, they're like, actually, you're right. I don't think I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like a really good place to start. So that, you know, is like really with, like mostly nutrition so looking at you know what you're eating or not eating really changing that up um so really just like at a high level just eating like a bunch of vegetables is gonna help with all detoxification pathways for sure um but really you know i think the biggest piece of the the life after breast cancer puzzle is on the mental emotional piece and that fatigue and the stress and the anxiety and the fear of recurrence and there's a lot we can do um with nutrition and supplementation to address that so really when i have someone who comes in with like you know anxiety, stress, you know, really chronic fatigue. Um, I really look at nutrition to be like, okay, what are you eating? What time of day? And you're just playing around with like, like the macronutrients, like your proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, playing around with ratios at different meals um, and different times of the day can really, really, really impact cognitive function. It can Mm. really impact hormonal balance, things like that. So I try to do everything with food first because supplements are supplemental in nature. They're not intended to, you know, 
be on them forever. But a lot of these imbalances, you know, you kind of said it already, like we're really toxic after treatments and, you know, it does persist in our bodies for quite some time that, you know, you can't do things with just food alone, but you can't do things with just supplementation alone either. You really do need a true holistic combined approach to, Mm -hmm. to really address that. Um, yeah, there was something else I was going to say with that, but I forgot. So yeah. I think it'll come back. <laughs> I'm sure. And how did your oncologist respond when you decided to no longer stay on tamoxifen? Um, so that's an interesting one. So the oncologist, I think, at my hospital – you know, it, I lived in a small city at the time. I live in Toronto now. But, you know, I think just, like, overall, I kind of got the vibe that, like, the oncologist where I was getting treated, they just happened to be of more of a, um, oh, my gosh, what's the word, um, conservative mm-hmm. uh, nature. So they weren't really open to natural therapies, you know. But a lot of people are starting to incorporate that. So like, yeah. they were open to it. My oncologist happened to be, I think, the most conservative out of all of them. So she was, you know... I think she did a great job. She, I asked her a bunch of questions. I was like, can I take this? Can I take this? You know, mm-hmm. I read about this and her answer was honest. She was like, I'm not a naturopath, so I don't know. Right. And I appreciated that because I don't want her just to give me a no because she doesn't know. It's like, she's not a naturopath. So right. how does she know? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, Cause people don't realize that like naturopaths have a tremendous amount of schooling, you know, it's a really rigorous, you know, medical program as well. And, you know, there's evidence-based natural medicine. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of support for it. So how could she know everything that she needs to know to be a great, you know, medical oncologist if she's spending all her spare time reading about natural stuff. So exactly. I, I really appreciated her answer. Um, and so I just went and saw a naturopath. Um, so the rest of it though, so when I got off tamoxifen, she was like, you know what, I'm telling you honestly, it's against my medical opinion, but you are free to do whatever you want to do. So if you, you know, have researched this and you're comfortable with the care you're getting with your naturopath and, you know, the work that you're going to do on yourself, she's like, I'm not going to tell you no, but or she's like, I'm telling you like what. She's like, I'm telling you no, but you can do whatever you want kind of thing. But she's like, just make sure it's like, you know, thought out. And then um, she wanted me to go for mammograms and Mm. I declined mammograms. So she was like, honestly, like, I love seeing you, but if you're not on tamoxifen and you're not seeing it, you're not going to have mammograms. I have no reason to keep you on as a patient. Like you don't have anything in my care anymore. So I was just dismissed as a patient and that was it. Wow. And you declined the mammograms because of the, like, the x-ray and the radiation because of them? Yeah, and I just want to kind of go on the record and say I'm not against mammograms. Like, a lot of people are, you know, very, like, one way or the other. I'm against mammograms for me at this age of my life. So Mm -hmm. I want to make that clear. And, you know, I did a blog post a while ago about, like, why I refused a mammogram. And it was just, like, my perspective on me as a person. Sure. And I got a lot of comments on it. And it was kind of like, people were like, oh, you know, she's refusing mammograms. So you can't listen to anything she has to say. She clearly doesn't know what she's talking about. And then people were having conversations back and forth. And it's like, hello, I'm a person. I'm like, this is my life, right? Like, you're forgetting that I actually had cancer too. And I value my life. And I don't want it to come back. Like, I'm making this choice. And it's an informed choice. Like, I truly believe that choosing to not have a mammogram is in the best interest for me and my long-term health, right? So. Sure. But I'm not against it. You know, I think every woman should do whatever she needs to feel confident, safe, and supported in her body. And Mm -hmm. mammograms are a tool. Um, So for me, you know, being the age that I was, I have very dense breasts. So you don't really get accurate readings on Mm -hmm. a mammogram with that. So it makes no sense to me to have a mammogram. Um, Initially, my oncologist actually told me that I was not going to have mammograms because of my age. And then randomly, like, four months later when my treatment was done, she tried to spring a mammogram on her. And mm. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like you told me before that it was this, you know, it was going to be this other way. Okay. Um, I know a few um, women that I've connected with through Instagram that are also, you know, young women. So their oncologist told them, you know, your MRIs until your breast tissue isn't dense because why would we expose you to radiation if we can't get a good reading? So right. a lot of oncologists do acknowledge that just not all of them do. So, I think that mammograms are a good tool depending on your age. The other thing that I want to say too is that like, you know, you are exposed to radiation and it is cumulative. So, you know, the guidelines used to be mammograms for like standard women, like of no like major risk factors starting at age 40, but they 
changed it to age 50, I think, I don't even know, like maybe four or five years ago. So there's this, this huge controversy and women are like, I want my mammogram. Like I want my extra 10 years. And it's like, I get it. Like, but what I want you to realize is that like a mammogram isn't doing anything. It's telling you if there's something in your body or in your breasts or not. You know, and then you go back the next year and you have another year of radiation. It's like, cool, you don't have anything in your breast. See you next year. And then the third year, oh my God, all of a sudden you have cancer. It's like, well, cancer doesn't grow in that one year. It grows over time. It takes about eight years for a palpable tumor to form. So those other two mammograms that you had that, you know, didn't diagnose anything, it's just because it was too small to appear on a mammogram, doesn't mean that you didn't have cancer and you could have been taking preventive measures for it. So, you know, for me, radiation is cumulative and i think there's other scans that can be done that are less invasive that can give you more accurate reading mm-hmm. um i'm a huge fan of thermography so i might throw some information about that in there too yes mm-hmm. i'll talk about that in a second but <clears throat> the other thing i just kind of wanted to say is you know for me personally like because radiation is cumulative and i had the option you know to have a mammogram or mris whatever but like i was 27 when my treatment finished and you know, that's another, what, like 13 years till age 40 when I would, normal women would start having it. So that's 13 years of radiation. Plus now I'm going to live a very long, happy, healthy life. So from 40 to let's say 80, so that's 53 years of mammograms. Isn't that like it's an insane amount of radiation to expose yourself to? It's like, you know, people, these, these guidelines for mammogram screenings, they're very outdated and that's what people don't realize is that that was you know the the standard for women Mm -hmm. that are you know of age 40 to 50 whatever it is that aren't really getting exposed to aren't getting breast cancer yet so they're just like of like average risk but you know women are getting cancer so much younger now as evidenced by you Mm -hmm. me everyone listening to this podcast everyone that i coach you know people reading your newsletter yes Mm -hmm. it's like we have to really stop and think that these guidelines need to be revisited and remodeled for women who are younger because i don't understand how it should be the standard practice of treatment for me as a 27 year old finishing treatment to have mammogram screenings in the same protocol as someone who's 45 or 50 and finishing their breast cancer treatment. Like there, it should be distinguished based on age because, you know, we are getting diagnosed younger and that's kind of my message is that like, you know, treatment is individualized. I don't like that my treatment as such a young woman Mm -hmm. would expose me to more radiation because of my age than someone who is older. So those are my reasons for changing or for refusing a mammogram. Um, I did MRIs for the first two years. And after that, I was like, no, I'm going to just not do MRIs anymore either. Um, But I did that just to kind of like bridge the gap between conventional and um, integrative. Um, And I was fine with those choices. Um, Now um, I'm doing thermography. I'm actually going for my first first thermogram um, on Thursday. So a week from today. I'm really excited. Yeah. So because my my message is all about prevention. Like I shout it from the rooftops, you Mm -hmm. know, as a cancer survivor, my biggest goal in life is to prevent a recurrence and that's what I coach women to do too it's Mm -hmm. to really be your advocate take charge of your health and you know make these changes so you can you know do everything you can to prevent a recurrence so going back to mammograms like it does nothing for prevention it's a diagnostic tool so it's like do you have cancer is there something in your breast is it cancerous yes or no move on etc 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 does nothing to prevent it so thermograms are a really awesome tool because it helps you see if something's forming so going back to that example earlier where you got there's a tumor you know in your mammogram on your three well if you had a thermogram you know you could see something kind of going on earlier and you could take some steps to really prevent that so you could be like okay well let me take a look at what else is going on and maybe make some changes and you know nip that in the bud so to so to speak Mm -hmm. so um i'm pretty excited about it so in case anyone is like what's a thermogram um what it kind of does is um it takes like an infrared image of your of your breasts, or I'm actually doing a whole body thermogram because I'm like, I wanna know what's going on everywhere, yeah, totally. not, right? Um, so it takes like, a, like an infrared image of your breasts, your, your thyroid, your whole body, whatever it is you wanna do. And because it does infrared, it picks up on heat. So as we know, cancer cells um, move faster, so they generate more heat in the body. So what this does is it kind of like 
depicts in colors, you know, like red's like a hot spot where there's a lot of, you know, activity. Um, and then, you know, other colors are like less activity or just like normal functionality. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of get a picture of what's going on. So if you see like there's a lot of like hot spots in your breasts, it's kind of like, okay, well, there's something going on there. Let's like, then let's maybe next step be, next step could be a mammogram, you know? Sure. But it's like my my message is like, why expose yourself to, radi- or to radiation from a mammogram if you don't need to do that as a diagnostic tool when and if you need to. Does yes. that make sense? No, absolutely, 100%. And we've been super fortunate as well to have a couple of radiologists on our podcast talking about all different types of screenings and really breaking down the difference between like a screening mammogram or a diagnostic mammogram and all of the enhancements, as you were mentioning with the like thermomammography, contrast-based mammography. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be speaking with another doctor talking to us about, um, I think it's, what is it? molecular breast imaging, MBI. So I think, again, to your point, it's just providing these resources so that us as patients, as people, can like really choose what is best for us that meets like our values and our interests um, right there. I remember talking um, to a couple of women. So I took a really aggressive approach when I got first diagnosed, right? I was meeting with my oncologist saying, you know, I want to have the neoadjuvant chemotherapy to try and shrink the size of my, my tumor. I was on five different types of chemotherapy followed by surgery, the, you know, 33 rounds of radiation. I did not have a complete response to the um, treatment. So I was on chemotherapy again for another six months, plus one year of like Herceptin because of like the ER positive um, diagnosis. So a ton of treatment and you're just like trying to muscle through it, right? For like 18, 21 months of just like trying to get through. And now that you're on this like side of survivorship, you're like, that was a lot. Like, I don't want to go back for my mammogram. I... I'm exhausted, right? Like mm-hmm. the mental and emotional fatigue that accompanies the treatment. And, but I already like gave in to this like really aggressive tactic, right? I was like, we're going all in, whatever you recommend. I had a really great relationship with my oncologist. I still do. And we're just like super aggressive and I'm all for it. But then all of us, and I remember talking to other women who decided to um, refuse the hormonal therapies. And I remember very early on just like telling my parents or telling my boyfriend like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Like, how could they say no to this? Like, we've been so aggressive up until this point. And now that I'm at this point, (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, like the quality of life, like taking this pill every day, like there's, there are huge trade-offs that yes, it could be common. I love your term of like, yes, it's common, but it doesn't have to be necessary. I think that really resonates with me. And yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. And I'm sure like a lot of our listeners too, because so much of it in, I don't know if it's like a gender or us as women, but like we muscle through so much and really being able to give ourselves permission that like, okay, yes, there is a standard, there are guidelines, there's protocols, but you know, we have choice in this. And I love this conversation because we're really being able to challenge the convention. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, and I just want to say too, my goal is never to get people off of medication. Most of the women that I coach are on tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor. And like, that's totally okay. Like I'm all for it because like I said, like you are your advocate and you know, I'm all about an integrative approach Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, the best thing for that person. For me, it's just not the best for me anymore. That's why I stopped. You know, like I said, I did MRIs for a couple of years and now I just, I, all natural, but that's, that took me, you know, four and a half years to get to this point. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a journey. Um, and there was something that you said that I really liked. Oh, and I forget it, but it was beautiful. (laughs) Everything you just said was great. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's the continuum, right? So I feel like what we decided, like the day that we were walking out after active treatment to where you are, like I'm two years out since active treatment. I can't wait to get to the five year mark and celebrate with you shortly. Um, (laughs) but I think it's, yeah, the continuum of how, is our body responding, um, especially people under 40 who are being forced into medical menopause. And then by the time you're off some of these pills, then you're in like natural meta- like menopause. And really the response to depleting yourself of these hormones, I'm super curious to know more about this idea of like being in balance and harmony or disharmony. So yeah, I would love for you to like expound on that a little bit. For sure. And actually, I remember what I wanted to say before. It was um, when you were talking about how, like, you couldn't believe that women were saying no to these hormones and stuff like that. You know, I actually read 
over some things that I wrote at the time I was diagnosed. And I recall this one thing that I wrote where I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I couldn't imagine like not taking my pill for 10 years. I was like, you know, I can't wait till I'm just doing that. And all I have to do is take a pill. Like I was so gung ho about like the medicine. Now Mm -hmm. I'm just like the opposite. So it is a continuum, you know, it is a journey and we have a choice at every step of the process. And you know, what I love as well, what you said is that like a lot of women, you know, they take this pill every day and they have these undesirable side effects. And, you know, sometimes we just, we just put up with it. We're like, well, what's the alternative cancer again? And that's kind of why I like to shed light on this topic and talk about the, the imbalances that you want me to speak about now, because, you know, it's not about like, I don't want your quality of life to be so, you know, undesirable you know if you had these really horrible side effects like weight gain fatigue bone pain just being in menopause hot flashes are a common one yeah, that I get hello all everyone too. all of our listeners <laughs> yeah seriously exactly. so I'll give you some good tips for hot flashes then because that's going to be really impactful for sure um but it's like I I in a couple of um like Facebook support groups and just kind of answering some questions some people have nutrition questions yeah. and there was a a thread not too long ago about people wanting to get off their their tamoxifen and you know some women were like kind of bullying them being like well you should just accept these side effects they are what they are you know the alternative is cancer and you know these women are doing such a courageous thing by wanting to just own their life and just live their best people react to things differently and these side effects can be really terrible and you know there's always a choice and it's always about finding the right balance for you so whoever's listening if you are on you know some type of hormone blocker and you feel great, you know, I just want you to know that that's awesome. And I support that. But if you don't feel great, you know, just ask, you know, ask your oncologist, reach out to me. There's things that we can do. Um, so just to kind of answer, you know, the question you had about hormone imbalances. So, you know, your hormones aren't the enemy. They don't cause cancer. Hormonal imbalances do. The body Mm. is a beautiful self-healing, resilient ecosystem. And when, everything's fine. It's fine. The body has so many like, you know, backup systems, like self-healing mechanisms, repair mechanisms, detoxification, like systems, you know, the body wants you to be happy, healthy, and thrive. The problem is that the way most of us have lived and just like being exposed to things and also just our thoughts, our thoughts are really powerful and they change the physiology of our cells. You know, these, these, uh, these, detox pathways these elimination pathways like they just get you know blocked up and you know imbalances occur so with you know breast cancer you know they're not always hormonal related but that's you know most of what i i coach is and that's what mine was as well you know we have too much estrogen is essentially the cause but you know, these hormone blocking medications, they're really their job is just kind of preventing extra estrogen from binding to breast cells. So as you know, a hormonally driven breast cancer survivor, like that sounds great, right? But it does nothing to actually address why estrogen is high in the first place. And that's kind of where my work begins. It's like, why is this high? What and also how high is it? Can we test that? It's 2019. We don't have to guess what's going on inside of our bodies. There's the test for everything so you know i i really encourage people to just become very aware of what they're doing and you know their actions their thoughts and you know we can address you know imbalances through nutrition lifestyle and supplementation um that's really the bulk of the work that i do so um you know signs of hormonal imbalances you know are like like painful periods, like even swollen breasts, like that's a common one. Most people just think it's normal to have swollen breasts around like, you know, the time your period's about to start. No, it's actually not. It's a hormonal imbalance. And, you know, that's something that I I had my whole life growing up. I just figured it was normal. I remember, you know, talking to all my friends like, oh, my boobs hurt today. I must be getting my period on Tuesday. You know, it's like, that, that's that's a sign that something's not right. So just really paying attention to your body and questioning everything now at this point, because a lot of the things that we've been conditioned our whole lives to think is normal, because everyone else had it too, it's not actually normal. And you no, know, not to say that if you have like tender breasts before your period, that's a, you're going to get breast cancer, but it is a sign that hormones are out of balance. And eventually, if more things go out of balance, you know, other systems get backed up, disease can happen in the body, and it could be breast cancer, or it could be something else. So but anything hormonal related, I my first thought always breast cancer, like <laughs> prevent that, prevent that right yes. now. Um, but you know, for anyone who's listening, if you have hot flashes, so actually, here's what I do for people with hot flashes. 
the easiest, most accessible thing that works so well is actually to drink sage tea. So go mm. to your health food store and buy sage tea. I want the only ingredient to be sage and then, you know, steep it for at least 10 minutes, but steep it covered. It has to be covered to really activate all those chemicals. And then, you know, that's going to really really, really powerful. So what I have a lot of my clients doing that have, you know, really bad hot flashes, like ones that, you know, all throughout the night, keep them up all night. What I actually have them do is to brew a big pot of sage tea, um, like, in the, you know, at night, in the morning, whatever, and then just keep it in their fridge so they can drink it cold because it's the oh, summer. Not yeah. everyone wants to drink hot tea, but it has to be hot initially and then steep covered. And then you can keep it in your fridge and you can drink it throughout the day and drinking it consistently. If you had like like you know hot flashes constantly throughout the day drinking sage tea you know instead of water you know it's right. still a good liquid because it's an herbal tea it's not caffeinated so that can be you know towards your water intake for the day drinking sage tea all day long um or especially at night before you go to bed really really and it's so cheap right like i always like to put these in my protocols because even taking supplements like knowing how like they're helping your body and it's like really cool to take all these fun herbs and vitamins and stuff but it's still just the act of taking a, like a supplement it's, totally. like, it's still a pill right and it's like i hate the energy of that because it keeps you stuck in like the i have cancer this is medication right so if i can you know put teas in protocols i do because people don't realize tea is really effective, you know? Yeah. So uh, when you get really good quality, you like teas um, for sure. So sage tea, and then I don't do this personally, but actually acupuncture. So there is mm. um, an acupuncture protocol specific to hot flashes. So it's like special points um, and the duration and the frequency. So um, I actually have a client who had, she said 15 hot flashes a night um, before she started working with me. So she's doing sage tea and then she's seeing um, an, an acupuncturist um, where she lives. Cause again, yes. we do remote sessions. Um, and now she's down to two hot flashes a night. So for her, she's like That's huge. loving life. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So acupuncture, <laughs> is really powerful and you know it's covered by most insurance plans so that's pretty great as well mm -hmm. um but yeah and sage tea is so accessible and really affordable yeah excellent do you have any recommendations so i'm thinking um so i have like sage leaves in my house right so i'm one of those people who like once a month like sages the house or like oh, tries gorgeous. to do like all this great stuff um are those the same leaves that you would use to make your tea or is there a different brand or you know, something that I'm you recommend i'm really sure i okay. always just get like the sage tea bags so it's kind Got of like it. a portion because when um the tea bags is actually the portion that you want so if you read the instructions on tea it actually say like one tea bag per cup of water steep covered for 10 minutes most okay. people don't steep their tea cover because no one reads the instructions <laughs> on tea but it actually is there because that's what really helps oh. to activate the the chemicals Got it. um or the phytonutrients but i actually just want to make a distinction you don't have to steep like steep covered like your green tea your black tea because that's actually not tech um when i'm talking about steeping like your herbs covered because sage isn't a tea right it's just an herb so Got in it. north america we just associate any steep hot beverage as a tea but it's not actually a tea because there's no tea in it so Got it's it. an herbal infusion so Ooh. you don't have to go be like oh i'm not steeping my my earl gray tea in the morning you're fine you don't have to it's just like any type of herbs you want herbal steep infusion covered. i love that like yeah, oh we're gonna get so, all like, classy over here like sign me up yeah, for your like I'm nutrition <laughs> So yeah, um, actually my herbal medicine class in school, my biggest takeaway was steep your teas covered. Like I right. had no idea, right? Like, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it's powerful. So I don't know to answer your questions the same as like, you know, the things you used to smudge, but yeah. um, I have yeah. no idea, but I would just buy the bags because like they're portioned out for what you need. It yeah. For, so. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm so excited. I'll have like, yeah, a cup before sure. going to sleep for sure. Yeah. The other recommendation I had, I'm not sure if you've heard of this too, but vitamin E is supposed to also really help with hot flashes as well as just, I know in the U S I'm not sure in Canada, but just over the counter Claritin, um, that helps with your, um, like allergies and stuff mm -hmm. are also supposed to help with hot flashes. So again, yeah, going I back heard, to like um, not doing Claritin, the pills, but, but again, me, I'm just like, uh, I don't want to take anything. You know, yeah. if you don't need it, cause it's, everything you do has a reaction in your body. Cause it's not, you know, it might be helping with the hot flashes, but your liver still has to detox totally. out everything else that's in a Claritin. Right. And I'm just like, oh, like, I would rather you just get it all from sage tea or acupuncture. Absolutely. I never heard about vitamin E, but Hey, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so 
And I was on that for a little while too when I was going through active treatment because the chemotherapies were just like wrecking havoc with the hot flashes. And it was terrible because I was going through chemo during winter. So I'd be like super hot one second and then freezing because of all the sweat the next second. And I was like horrified of like going outside and like getting hypothermia or like, you know, just like the day to day was like really challenging. You were concerned about them, right? It gets so funny being like, I was concerned about hypothermia because I was sweating profusely in the middle of winter. Right. It's like, oh yes. my gosh. Yeah, yes. that's that's crazy. It's but... all going in the book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And this webinar that you're doing, I would love to learn more about that. I'd be happy to publicize it. Is it a free webinar for people? Yeah, or it's you a free have... webinar for sure. Um, I'm really excited about it actually because I'm creating it based on the feedback that I've been getting um, from my Instagram and you know what I've been hearing in the support groups that I'm on yeah. um, on Facebook and things like that. So really, it's kind of what I was mentioning earlier. It's like for after treatment ends, you know, one year, two year, however many years later, and you're still having these like unnecessary like symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just addressing that and letting women know like options that they can implement to um, mitigate those side effects so what I'm going to be talking about would be hot flashes so spoiler alert I'm already going to (laughs) mention stage two and acupuncture those are my go-tos for that um but we're also going to address some other really common side effects that I still see in my clinical practice. So mm-hmm. um, chronic fatigue is definitely a major one. Um, stress and anxiety for sure. Low libido is another one that I want to address as well. Um, and chemo brain. Those are the yes. biggest ones. Oh, perfect. I would love to, if you're open to it, like advertise it in my group and have oh, people yeah, that join. Would be amazing. So. so I'm actually devoting tomorrow to creating slides for it I'm just like I'm gonna do it tomorrow it's been on my to-do list but I'm like tomorrow's the day so I'm really excited about it it's gonna be a lot of fun it's my first webinar so hopefully I don't have any tech issues but um I'm super excited about it because um it's gonna be really impactful because you know everything is individualized and I can't give you like a tailored approach of course on a webinar but really you know sort of simple takeaways like you could try sage tea it's really cost effective you mm-hmm. know like it can work for you maybe it will maybe it won't it's like certain things work better for other people but um yeah you know, I really see sage tea working for almost everybody that it's, I've, I've had um on it um but yeah you know like for things that are more complex like chemo brain mm-hmm. you know there's a few things that you know work in clinical practice it just really depends on the person so i'm going to give the different strategies you know but you know you might have to try a different one but kind of my my pet peeve i guess is you know people wanting just like everyone wants the quick fix right and i totally get that you're in pain and you want the solution but unfortunately the solution is a multifaceted approach because you know the body is very complex cancer is complex the cancer treatments we ex- were exposed to is mm-hmm. complex so it's you know you didn't get cancer overnight and you're not going to get rid of these symptoms overnight either it's right. really about uh, implementing sustainable changes um you know that can really support you going forward and then some you know some supplements and you know things like that to really just get you there quicker but like i said earlier you can't do it just nutrition you can't do it just supplementation and you know i don't like when i get like a message or something on instagram it's like is vitamin d good for me and i'm like well i can't like <laughs> yes it's good for everybody but i don't know the level you would need like right. maybe you live in florida and you're exposed to sun and you don't need it anymore because too much vitamin d can actually be toxic to your kidneys so i'm like i don't want to give you i can't give you a dose you know it's like so there's a lot to it so it's really just a multifaceted approach so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what the the webinar is going to be about is that these are things that you can do but you really need to do a bunch of things in combination to really 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 truly heal and my message is to really empower you to want to heal because your life is just so beautiful and so worth living fully and it's like why don't you want to have all that energy you can have it all totally you can have it all (laughs) absolutely don't we want that Yeah, I am. Um, I need to get back on. I don't want to use the word diet, but there was a while where my boyfriend and I were following um, a pretty strict regimen of doing a ton of juices, especially like first thing in the morning and almost every other hour doing a cold pressed juice. And I have to say, like my cognitive ability, like after like four weeks was like through the roof. I honestly felt like I beat chemo brain because I was having these like celery juices or carrot juices. I was infusing them with the gingers or the um, turmeric or different like herbs and stuff to go into it and just eating very whole 
based foods, doing a lot of baking. I realized part of my diet, even though I was eating a lot of vegetables, I was doing a lot of sauteing with olive oil. And I was like, wow, I'm really probably putting too much fat in my diet. So it was just like small little tweaks that I'm sure you address in your program is like, wow, I didn't realize I was oversaturating in one area and not getting enough nutrients in the other and really finding what that balance was for me. It was it was quite like a testament of like being able to go to work and not be short of words and being able to think clearly and not spend hours trying to like overthink an email. So yeah, that's amazing. And you know, that's pretty cool that, you know, you notice such a shift because it's like not everyone feels great when they juice, right? I'm Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't feel great when I juice. So um, I I love me a cold pressed juice for sure. (laughs) It's just like a nice treat and like I'm out and I'm like, oh, that would be a nice thing today. And I actually always get cold pressed juices when I travel just because I always feel like I get run down when I'm traveling because I'm trying to do so much. So it's a good way to get like a high dose, you know, intake of vitamins and minerals because your body doesn't have to do any work to absorb them when they're in a juice. Um, But I'm actually someone like I can't do juice cleanses whenever I do. Like it really just throws my hormones off. Mm. Like I don't respond well to that level of like an insulin spike from the sugar. So even Mm -hmm. if it's like a celery juice or things like that, like I'm better with it. But as soon as I throw in like a carrot, an apple, a beet, it's like I go off. I go off. So um, nutrition, yeah, it's not black and white because, you know, like you could thrive on it and actually notice their cognitive function getting better whereas like it throws my entire hormonal ecosystem off so I don't really juice so yeah um yeah it's interesting that you that you felt better and I am happy for and that's kind of my thing is like I ask a lot of detailed questions when I work with people just Mm -hmm. to get the best way to eat for you because it's not the same for everybody right so for someone listening if they wanted to follow up with you and ask questions or get in touch what's the best way to connect with you yeah, so you can connect with me on Instagram. That's probably the best way. My handle is at nutritious underscore delicious underscore life. And nutritious is spelled N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-U-S. A lot of people spell it wrong. And honestly, I have myself questioning it. I'm like, does this how you spell nutritious? <laughs> but yeah, so it's nutritious underscore delicious underscore life. Um, and honestly, the easiest way is to connect with me through there. Uh, if you don't have Instagram, uh, my Facebook page is nutritious delicious life and there's spaces between them or you know you can just email me we can connect that way that's always fun too so it's lauren l-a-u-r-e-n at nutritiousdeliciouslife.com awesome great and i'll be able to um post in the descriptions too of the podcast and potential youtube videos as well with all this information so people can find you Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I actually just wanted to say as well. So I have been doing my individual coaching practice now for quite a while and um, I've been taking it online, which is great. But my real, you know, passion project has always been to create a group coaching program. So I'm in the process of creating that right now. So I actually, if you go to my Instagram, um, there's a link in my bio to sign up for the waitlist for that program, because what I really want to do is work on creating that now, but I would love to do it like if people sign up on it, I do it like probably tomorrow, definitely like get on it quicker. So, um, you know, if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I would love to, you know, work with you one-on-one or in a group setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, please, I encourage you to fill out, um, uh, just sign up on the link in my bio. It's a free link. And, you know, as soon as I create the program, I'll reach out. Um, yeah, just cause you know, one-on-one coaching is amazing, of course, but it is expensive uh, because there's a lot of, you know, time and support that's involved with that. I Group coaching, you know, makes it more affordable. And also there is so much power and strength in group healing. Like the power of community is second to none. Like this podcast, it fosters community. Every group coaching program I've ever been a part of, because I love being coached. I'm being coached right now. I have a business coach. She's also a life coach. It's like being coached is the best. And (laughs) every group coaching program I've ever been in has profoundly impacted my life. And it's just like, you know, I'm trying to encourage my clients to really, you know, take charge of their health and view this as an opportunity to transform from the inside out it's not easy work you know what i mean it's not like oh we're gonna eat some vegetables tomorrow and we're good it's like this is this is the process it's a 12-week program that i run so it's 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 involved you know but it's the exact strategies that i use myself to live my best life without fear of recurrence what's what i want to you know teach you know you to do as well and you know a 12-week program it's it's a journey it's a process but it's a beautiful thing and i think if you go through that transformation with a group of people at the same time it just really gives you a level of momentum clarity connectedness like it's just a really beautiful thing and similarly we are doing a virtual I don't want to call it a webinar. I don't know what to call it, but kind of like our meet and greet taken virtually so people from all over the U.S. and the world can pretty much join in September. It's either September 
ninth or 10th, I got to look on my events page, but we have a nutritionist coming on virtually who's going to do a cooking demo. And so I'd love for you to join if you're around and available. We're going to send out the recipe in advance so people, if they want, can go and purchase the ingredients um, or they can just, you know, like watch and chime in and have conversation with the group. But we're going to try, I've never done this before, but do like live cooking virtual demo. And then when everything bakes, she's going to do some Q&A. And then after the session, we'll all have a delicious dinner to eat. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an incredible conversation. I personally learned so much and I know how valuable this is going to be to our listeners. I also want to highlight that on September 18th, you're going to be hosting a webinar. Our listeners can sign up at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events and to RSVP for this 100% online webinar. So I hope to see you guys all there. Thank you so much and have a great day. If this podcast was helpful, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave a review so we know that you liked it. There are so many ways to join our community. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at survivingbreastcancer.org. Follow us on Instagram, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and on YouTube at bit.ly forward slash YouTube SBC, and on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thanks. Until next time, talk to you then.